Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony, and I'm your host. With over a decade in the local church, I care deeply and passionately about helping you move closer to Jesus. Today's conversation is all about revival, outpouring, all the things that you've been talking about on and maybe have seen on the news or on your social media feed. Uh, We're going to get into it a little bit, not so much Asbury and what God is doing there, but revival from a much bigger perspective. And there was no one that I wanted to have this conversation with aside from Dr. Bellini. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know he's one of the the members on my godly council. He's a voice I trust, and I love his theological background and education on this kind of stuff. So we kind of get into historical relevance around revival and what does it mean and what does it look like? I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. If you do, do me a favor, share this episode with a friend, maybe somebody who you've talked to about revival, maybe somebody who's got questions. It would mean the absolute world to me. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Peter Bellini. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have back for the record number of times. I think it's six now, Dr. Peter Bellini. Dr. B, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Hey, glad that you would have me back six times, man. I just got it wrong the first five times. Maybe we can, I'll do it right this time. Well, I always tell people you're the pastor of the podcast, and I I appreciate that so much. And I wanted to bring you on because in all of my social media feeds, um, I'm hearing about revival, right? The the outpouring at at Asbury, and I I don't. We can get into a little bit of the details specifically about Asbury, but but I thought maybe it would be good for a lot of people who are like me who need kind of a historical lesson on where does where does this term revival or outpouring or these kind of things where does it come from and and is it is it something that we see in the historic faith or is it something that people are just making up right right well we we are hearing a lot about revival aren't we we're uh, seeing it in, in the social media <clears throat> and even in the news uh, the Asbury revival I've been on a few uh, major news networks and uh, it's got people's interest, and many have uh, gone down to Asbury uh, in Wilmore, Kentucky, and there's uh, other places that it's spread to, and people have been going there as well. Uh, and others are just, you know, maybe watching live stream or videos of it and getting, you know, getting a taste of it. And, uh, you know, uh, Asbury's a, a non-denominational university with its roots in the Wesley and holiness tradition. So they're connecting with John Wesley and the subsequent holiness movement. So uh, that tradition is no stranger to uh, revivals or whatever term you want to call them. And there's a lot of people that use these terms interchangeably. And then there's those who are in the in the, the the field itself that study it, that may make some distinctions as to what a revival is and what an awakening is. But, you know, this has been with uh, the Wesleyan holiness tradition for the last few hundred years, but it's also been a part of our uh, Christian tradition as a whole for the last uh, couple thousand years. Um, periodically, uh, as 
God sees fit. And as the people seem to hunger and thirst and pray, um, God just pours out uh, his blessing and his spirit, maybe more than what seems to be usual. Um, And people call it, you know, it's an outpouring, it's a renewal, it's a revival, it's an awakening. But it's usually um, amongst those who already believe, usually, that's the re part of revive, uh, bring us back to life again. It's usually persons that have been in, you know, the church that are wanting more. Uh, maybe they feel that their faith isn't as fervent as it needs to be. Um, maybe they're looking to uh, get closer to God or have a greater impact on society. So they pray for more of God, more of God's grace, more of God's Holy Spirit, and to more of his blessing <clears throat> and uh, God when uh, I believe it's both you know it comes from God's grace and God's providence but also it comes to those who are hungry and thirsty and willing and seeking but periodically there have been waves of this in the church for the last couple thousand years and you could even look at the Christianity as a renewal movement itself it's a renewal movement within Judaism um, you could see it in, in those terms as, as well but usually the result is, is that people's uh, faith is increased. There's usually a greater focus on the person of Jesus Christ, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, um, greater commitment in faith, often, you know, recommitment, sometimes new conversions, different traditions, you know, focus maybe on different experiences, you know, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, healing, you know, speaking in tongues, all these kind of other things that seem to uh, more or less accompany a lot of renewal movements. But the, the bottom line, it's about God. It's about people returning to God with greater uh, desire, greater love, greater fervor, greater service as manifested um, in the revival, but also afterwards in the fruit in their lives um, is they, they walk that out. They walk that um, experience out in their daily daily Christian life. So we've, we've had those from the beginning. There's always been these movements. Uh, like I say, you could look at the Jesus uh, movement in the, the first century as a renewal movement, and then Montanism in the second century, and then later monasticism, and then even look at the Reformation in light of that, and then, you know, Great Awakening in the United States with um, George uh, Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and the colonies, and then back in England at the same time with Wesley in the in the in England with the, the Methodists, and then later the Holiness Movement, the Healing Revival in the mid eighteen hundreds, the Azusa Street Revival in the early nineteen hundreds, um, then the Healing Revival post World War II in the late forties and fifties, and then also a Billy Graham, the evangelical revival around that same time period, then the charismatic renewal in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. You know, then you have all these other, you know, renewal movements among neo-charismatics. So it's something that does happen. And with Asbury, they've had a tradition of it as well. It seems to happen kind of like every 20 years or so. They have one in 1950, 1970, one in 2003, I think it was, and then uh, this one here. So... That's super interesting. So not new, but um, but not often do we see it. And interesting that this is probably the first revival that I can think of or have heard about since social media has been around. And that, that just adds a whole different layer to it. So, right. so let, me, let me ask you this. F- for the normal church member, right, the guy 
and the gal who are going to church two to three times a month. They're sitting in the pews. They're trying to read their Bible most days, but let's be honest, some days are more of a struggle than others, right? They're they're just Christians who are trying to do their best to follow Jesus, um, but they're not in Wilmore, Kentucky. Does revival matter to the rest of the body? Well, um, the, we should always celebrate revival, whether it's happening in our midst or for our brothers and sisters. I mean, we want to obey God's command to love God and love our neighbors. So if something's happening uh, in Asbury or on the other side of the world that maybe I don't have access to, uh, I should celebrate that. I should rejoice with those who are rejoicing, as Scripture says. And anytime there's a sign of life, a new life in the church and in the world, we should be rejoicing. That's the work of God. Uh, we all serve the same God, the same Lord. We're all members of the same church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, uh, one Holy Spirit, unity of the Spirit. So we rejoice in that, um, even if we don't have access to it beyond social media. But that doesn't mean that we can't also pray, Lord, you know, what you're doing in Wilmore, Kentucky, can you Will you do it in me? Will you do it in my pastor? Will you do it in my church? What do you have for us? And we could be praying. And I think that's what happened in many places. That's why they're seeing revival. It's not just at, uh, at Asbury. It's spread, my understanding, is to many Christian universities, secular universities, local churches, uh, not just here in the States, but uh, throughout the world. I, I've been hearing stories in Latin America and the Philippines uh, and in the uh, Middle East, all kind of revival happening uh, all over. That is one of the interesting things about this season is that all of these outbreaks that you've been talking about, they seem to be stewarded by the next generation. Um, I'm wondering if that's a historical uh, trend or if that's something that just is this is new, or why do you think that the next gen are the ones who are, who are pushing this train forward so much on this idea of revival? Right. Well, I'm glad they are. We need it. I'm excited for them. Um, they live in a, we live in the same world, but they live in it more deeply and more in front than we do, uh, at least my generation. Um, they're the, they're the leaders today and tomorrow. Uh, I, I'm not a future leader tomorrow. I'm a future leader. I'm a leader today. Um, they face things in this world that I never had to face growing up. And you're a lot younger than me, but you probably didn't either. Um, it, it's a tough world, tough challenges. We're clearly post-Christendom. Christianity faces challenges in terms of where it stands in light of the culture and the culture's perspective and opinion on Christianity, which isn't real popular in the West. It's no longer, Christianity is no longer front and center. It's more on the margins. So it's not popular to be a, a Christian um, or a, a so-called evangelical Christian, one that experiences revival. So this is exciting that it's hitting their generation. I think we all need it but I'm really glad that they're getting hit with it because they're the future leaders. They are facing a lot of challenges. They need, they need more of God. And because we live in a day of skepticism, 
about Christianity, um, skepticism about, you know, the truth and, the, and these sorts of things. I think the revival at Asbury is kind of a gentle, peaceful, quiet, safe anointing relative to a lot of other revivals where there's, you know, maybe more expressive manifestations and, you know, more uh, graphic manifestations, people speaking in tongues and people falling out and on the spirit and demons being cast out. I was, I was at the revival. There's not a lot of that. It's not a, a very, it wasn't a very powerful, strong, knock them down kind of anointing. I mean, I experienced stronger anointing in my own prayer chapel than what I experienced down there. Hmm. But that's not the point. It was a, it's a very soft, gentle, safe, safe, comforting, loving, healing, peaceful anointing that I think was welcoming to that generation to, to, to regain their trust, if you will, and that God would then work deep and heal a lot of mistrust, a lot of painful experiences from the past, past hurts. It, I think it's specific. It's for everybody, this revival, but it's specifically tailored, in my opinion, to the young people and their perspective and where they stand related to the church and society. And it's the exact move of God that they need to, um, bring them to a place of faith, trusting God, inner healing, getting confidence in the things of God and, and willing to be a witness, uh, a strong witness with confidence and faith in the gospel message and without doubt because of the doubt that the society uh, puts upon the church to kind of second guess their message and their witness and that sort of thing. So it is not unprecedented that this revival is uh, with young people. I think the Spirit of God uh, loves to work with maybe those who've been neglected, you know, uh, the marginalized groups, the poor, racial and ethnically uh, uh, marginalized, uh, using women in leadership, and then and, and using the, the young people in leadership. The Welsh revival uh, was a very powerful revival in 1904, 1905 <clears throat> that affected that whole country. And that's another country that gets periodic revivals and um, began amongst the youth. Uh, Evan Roberts was, uh, was, a, was a young man in school and a lot of uh, people that were with him and, re- and, and that he reached were, uh, were the youth, the young people, what I call the young people, you know, the teenagers and 20-somethings of that day and age. And so it's not uncommon for God to use young people to lead a revival. Um, he's done it often in the past and, uh, it's exciting. They, uh, I don't mean it's in a negative way. Uh, I mean it in a positive way. They need it. We all need it. We all need it, but, uh, they have a, a, a think a bigger task in the future than like the older generation, like myself. And so yeah, I'm glad of- to see this happening amongst them and them taking, making it their own and, and going out and doing what God's told them to do. Yeah, well, one of the things that I'm seeing is that there's a lot of people who are my age and your age um, who are both looking at this like, we don't know what to do here, right? Now, most of my audience is not Gen Z uh, or, you know, some are, of course, and thank you for listening, those younger people. But most of my people are in our age range. I'm 42. You're a little bit older than that. And uh, what, what message do you have for us? as we watch 
with bated breath about what's happening there and, and in pockets all over the world, what should we be doing? Right. Um, you know, I'm a baby boomer. I'm like the, the, at the young end of the baby boomer uh, spectrum. And uh, there's always that tension with baby boomers and Z and Y and that sort of thing, living in the intergenerational tension. And I often, you know, cause I have, my kids are adult children and, you know, they're in their you know late twenties. Um, my son's will be 30 this year and my daughter's 26, she'll be 27. And I have to confess that I often have a kind of a, a suspicion or a, a distrust of younger people. It's like, well, you know, can they take on, can we pass the baton on to them? Can they handle what we handled and the generation before me handled and the generation before them, you know, the great generations and before. And I was saying, no, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't know, man. I don't think they can handle it. And I, you know, so I've had, you know, I'll admit I have a bias towards that until I see otherwise. And there's always exceptional young people. Don't get me wrong. But uh, so we're always skeptical. But, for you know, with this, with the things of God, I don't have that skepticism, you know, because I know the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. And he's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what your age is, what your sex is, what your race and ethnicity. God can use you equally and maybe even use you more. Like, uh, you know, don't do not uh, forbid the children to come unto me for such as these belongs the kingdom of God. You know, my little four year old granddaughter, I prayed for her last week. She came into my prayer chapel. She received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and started prophesying at four years old. And all I did is said, Costanza, come here. I said, receive it. And I didn't tell her what I mean. That's the voice. Only four. She started speaking in tongues and she started prophesying because she's more open. She doesn't have all that baggage. She's four years old. So maybe uh, the younger people do it better than we do it. All that to say, my generation and your generation needs to be praying for them, needs to be supporting them, needs to move out of the way. Um, I'm glad that Asbury kind of, uh, you know, uh, did a, created a schedule so uh, the, the young people could be in this sanctuary, you know, alone. So it's not something that's overtaken by the baby boomers or the older generation, which we would tend to do and say, OK, kids. You know, let us take over and organize. This is unorganized or whatever. So I'm glad that they put up uh, kind of a little bit of boundaries to keep the older people actually out, um, which I think is good in this case. So I think we need to pray for them. We need to support it. We need, we don't want to be judging harshly. Oh, we'll wait and see if there's fruit. Like, you know, like, you know, we got all the fruit in the world in our lives to qualify to judge <laughs> these young people. Just move out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do what he does. This I always said that this generation reminds me a lot of when I was a kid in the 60s and early 70s um, of that generation was led by young people. It was it was it was led by young people. A lot of the movements, um, it was a movement amongst the young people and a lot of the social tension we have today is similar to then as well. Mm. So I expect the young people to take leadership like they did back like they did back then to take leadership. And um, the saying back then was don't trust anyone over 30. That was what they used to say in the, in that time period. So they may want to bring that one back. Uh, I just think we need to support them. We need to pray for them, support them, equip them, 
you know, give them the things that we can give them that, that you know, like they may not have, like sometimes authority, uh, opportunities, wisdom, experience, but then trust that God is in them, just like God's in you and me, and that uh, they're, the, the, he, God can do it through them. We don't have to have this kind of uh, prejudice or suspicion. They need to. They need to. They need to take that baton of leadership up, and and a, and a revival like this could be to anchor and ground them for the rest of their ministry. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Doctor B to ask you to do me a huge favor. Will you leave a rating and review on iTunes right now? Just take a minute or so and just write out some thoughts on the show. If it's worth five star, leave us five stars. I read every single one of them, and it really does help the show become more findable by people who may not yet know about the reclamation community. So again, do me a favor, leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the absolute world. Now let's finish up this conversation with Dr. B. I think that's wonderful. Uh, you and I have both been around long enough to know that uh, anything that God does for good, man will also try to do the opposite. Um, there's probably a lot of leaders right now who are trying to figure out ways to produce a revival in their own church, a revival somewhere else. So they're going to start charging people for revival. And you've been around long enough to know all of these things happen. I I'm wondering if you could talk to the the listener who's who wants to go and experience these things. How do they discern if if it's really from God or if it's just a production from man? Yeah. Well, I think you need to pray before you go chasing a revival. You know, God, are you calling me to go to this location to receive whatever? And you got to check your motive. You know, why are you going? Why are you going? And what makes you think you can't have that here right where you're at? You know, got to check your motive. People are always praying for revival and it doesn't happen all the time. That's why it's revival. It comes on you know, every so many years, as I would say, it's like a comet that comes by, you know, the fire and the light comes by every so many years. You don't see a comet all the time. Um, so I, I think we need to check what our motives are and we need to regularly be praying for God to move, whether it's in a spectacular way or in a very subtle way, which is kind of more the norm that God works and gives us our daily bread. But, uh, I think, uh, the, the the fruit in our heart is how you can you can judge if it's real, at least on our from our end. You know, mm. uh, I think prayer and repentance are key to revival. And it begins with me. I can't tell you to repent. You know, I can't tell you, hey, you got this in your life and you need to I need to deal with the, what's in my life first. And revival starts with me or renewal. Whatever God wants to do starts in me. So it's authentic. It's not just me telling you and I'm not doing it. So I need to pray for repentance. God, Holy Spirit, reveal to me, show me in my life those things that are displeasing to you, that are sinful, or that prevent more of you from manifesting in my life. What are those things that I can deal with and, and get rid of and, and you know offer to you so that you could do more in me and then I can be more effective when I'm with my, my brothers and sisters? So I think it starts with you, me, praying and having a right heart in, in that way. Now, in terms of what you see, you know, there's, a, there's, there's what I call spontaneous revival. That's what Asbury was. They didn't call a revivalist in. They didn't schedule a revival. Didn't mm. plan it. Didn't organize it. Didn't orchestrate it. There was no person at the center. It was just God <clears throat> doing what God wanted to do. You know, 
that's hard for a lot of people to wrap their minds around. They want to think, oh, it's fake. It's this. Uh-uh. Getting people, getting 20-somethings in the room to pray and sing to the Lord all day is its own miracle. There was no other incentive. They weren't getting paid. They weren't looking for fame. You know, everyone's always got this uh, hermeneutic of suspicion. There's got to be some reason behind it. It's just those evangelicals. It's just all emotionalism and all of that. Man, even if it were emotionalism, it, it wouldn't, it's not going to last that, you know, long. Even when, when I was a young person, went off to a concert or something, you know, and you were gone for a couple of days afterwards, you were beat, you came home and that was it. You wasn't even going to go to no concerts for two weeks and party. And you couldn't even <laughs> do that for two weeks, let alone doing the Jesus thing. So it, it, it was a spontaneous revival as opposed to what I call a canned revival, yeah. which we have. And those came into existence after the existence of the spontaneous revival. In other words, can we capture that lightning in the bottle again that God did? Can we somehow manufacture it or create that? So you've got, you know, scheduled revivals in the spring, summer, fall. You've got revivalists. I do that for on the side that go in and, you know, it's a canned revival. So everything's in the can. You open it up and there's revival. Uh, and sometimes revival does happen and sometimes it doesn't. Um you know, sometimes people just get stirred up. It's 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 emotional. Sometimes it can be manipulative. Um, you know, and usually uh, one of the ways you can tell is the strong leadership and the things that are coming forward are often very manipulative. I mean, you're singing fifty bars of "Just as I Am" till someone comes up and gets saved for the five hundredth time, and you know, those are things you're trying you're trying to produce results. Uh, you're trying to get people to, you know, clap, let's make some noise and stir them up. So there's a lot of, a little bit of cheerleading, I understand, but it can get excessive or God will move in a particular way. People fall in the spirit. And then we want to recreate that or produce it or manufacture it instead of it being just that a spirit of God. So, you know, God's got the ark and we want to be, we want to adjust the ark a little and fix it here and fix it there. And that's not a good thing to do as the one brother in the old Testament got, he got whacked for that. Uh, it's got to be of God's anointing and we got to keep our hands off the glory off God's anointing. And when you see too many people manipulating and handling God's anointing, then it's not, it's, it often isn't a good thing, but the, you know, the fruit is the, the, the immediate fruit in the, in the young people and the long-term fruit. And a lot of that's going to take time to bear witness. And if it's of God, it will. And I think it is of God. It, it, it will. Uh, but when I went down there, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, I, I thought all those fruit were in, it, it were, were present there at that revival. Hmm. That's so good. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to talk about kind of the other side of, of revival, which would be kind of, you know, deliverance. Um, and deliverance ministry isn't a term that a lot of Christians use on a regular basis. So, so how would you describe what deliverance ministry is? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when unbelievers are trying to get closer to God, maybe they're coming to a church service, maybe they're at a revival, maybe they're just your friends at work that you've been praying for. And they're trying to get closer to the Lord. So it could be an unbeliever or it could be a believer that's trying to get closer to God. And the Holy Spirit begins to put his finger on things in their life, usually sinful things. And mm. usually they're sins that have uh, 
uh, been committed over a long period of time that have uh, somehow opened up the door to the influence of the enemy, a, a, a demonic influence, Satan, who's come to steal, kill, and destroy the enemy of our soul. Um, people in coming to Christ often need to have someone be with them to pray and help them walk through that repentance and that place where they're liberated from their sin. Um, and that's what deliverance ministry is. It's an intercessory ministry where we walk alongside people on that road of repentance and coming to Christ, whether they're an unbeliever or a believer, you know, both unbelievers and believers need to repent of sin. Um, and sometimes there's, it's, it, there's a little more than just, you know, a little small piccadillo sin that you committed here or there, but it may be things that are pretty hardcore that involve the occult, that involve addiction, that involve some major sin, uh, that have attachments to, with them that you didn't intend. But they're there anyways. The devil doesn't care. And uh, you need freedom. You need liberation. And you can't give free. Tried everything. Maybe that unbelievers tried other religions. Maybe they've self-medicated, tried alcohol, drugs, sexual encounters. They may have went to counseling or therapy, and they still can't get free. Um, they may need deliverance. They may need someone like myself or you to come alongside them, walk them and lead them through repentance of those sins, and then pray for them and pray that the the power of sin and the power of Satan be broken in the name of Jesus so they could be set free. Same thing with a believer. I mean, the believer could be someone who's gone to church for 20, 30 years, you know, and uh, most of their life is in order, but they have one area that they can't get free in. It may involve the same thing as the unbeliever. It may be an addiction. It may be some outward, you know, sin, major sin. Maybe some dabbling in the occult or whatever, and they can't get free. They're not. They can't stop. You know, freedom is. That, you know, you're able to do otherwise. And if they can't, they're bound, and they need help. They need someone to walk them through repentance, and pray with them that they can be set free from the power of sin and uh, any demonic attachments. That's what deliverance is, and that often happens in revival because the Spirit of God is inviting people to come just as they are. And so in the Methodist revival in the early uh, uh, in the 1700s and then the, the revivals <clears throat> that happened throughout the 1800s in the United States and, and then later Azusa and other revivals uh, often had deliverance occur uh, as people were getting set free. Deliverance often occurred. And uh, we, I'm a, a, a United Methodist elder. <clears throat> study John Wesley, and we see it a lot in Wesley's uh, ministry and work. In fact, I've just finished a book that's at the publisher called Thunderstruck, uh, the deliverance ministry of John Wesley today, that Wesley uh, prayed. Wesley, an early Methodist, prayed for people to be set free from uh, sin and demonic power. So it often goes hand in hand with uh, revivals, renewal, salvation, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. You're basically launching a new ministry of uh, a new resource ministry of United Theological Seminary, uh, and you're calling it the X Seminar, and it's a a training course in deliverance and exorcism. Um, It's it's not just for seminary students; it's for anyone. Kind of tell us anyone, yeah, yeah. Tell us how you got there and who's the right person who would be. 
because this is this is a little different. This is not the ordinary Methodist training. I've never had this training before outside of my time with right. you. Um, you know, certainly not academically. It's not. I mean, you know, you're you're about the only right. guy I know that teaches this stuff. Talk to me about that. Right. Um, well, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, almost closing in on 40 years of uh, ministering and in, including deliverance ministry. And what I noticed is that, especially in my circles, Methodist circles, as you mentioned, a lot of people do not know about it. It's foreign to them. They've never heard of it. They were never taught it. They see it in the Bible, but that was way back then when demons existed. We know better today. And so um, we don't see a lot of that sort of thing. Now, in, in other parts of the world, and even in the Western charismatic Pentecostal churches, that's a little more familiar. They're a little more familiar with it, though they still relegate it to you know, specialists. <clears throat> so I wrote a book last year called the X Manual, X, the letter X, and mostly standing for the Greek word exousia, which means God's divine authority to uh, overthrow the devil. So the X Manual was a book, a handbook that I felt needed to be written to teach people and train people how to do this, how to pray for people for deliverance and exorcism using the name of Jesus. Because hmm. I didn't see, I wasn't seeing a lot of it. And my personal schedule was overloaded. I was getting pulled here and there to do a lot of different things in that area. I give a lot of clients and a lot of uh, uh a lot of calls to come and, you know, either teach on it or minister it. And I thought, well, the body of Christ needs to be equipped. So at the time I wrote the book, I knew I would also do a seminar. I knew it was going to do a book and then a seminar. So after I finished the book, <clears throat> we uh, started to put together the seminar, which will be coming out May 5th, hopefully every year, first Friday in May. And everyone's invited, clergy, lay, whoever. And it's going to be a basic training course and how to, how to do it. And we'll use the X manual as a textbook. So uh, it'll be very practical. It'll be theological, you have foundation and all that, but also very practical on how to do it. And it's relevance. It's not something that's, you know, out there. Rarely will you encounter someone who has demonic issues. It's a lot more than you think. I think oftentimes we're in denial or um, we call it something else but it's needed in the church, especially today with the, so much of occult activity, so much uh, addiction, abuse. A lot of things are on the rise. E evil's on the rise. Satan doesn't sleep. Yeah, I, so, and I think one of the things that... We're very behind the times, especially yeah. my movement, the Methodist Church. They are so behind on this. Yeah. I think one of the things that we often mess up is that we think that it's uh, we, we just take it to like the exorcist, the movie and that it's so much more than that, that, that it's, you know, deliverance ministry and this kind of work is so much bigger than, and, and even more subtle, you know, it's not, I, I've, I have been trained by you and have done some of this work and the deliverance looks so different than what, we're, what the course, right? Yeah, what the movie, what the, the movies portray. As this, um, as this seminar gets, you know, kind of get ready to launch, and P 
people start signing up, what what's the prayer that my podcast community can be praying alongside you as as more and more people get equipped? Well, the, the prayer is is that people hear the call, that maybe God's calling me hmm. to help set the captives free. And I may feel powerless when I look out at the world and I see all the problems. Uh, I feel like there's nothing I could do. But maybe, uh, maybe there is something that God can do through me. So I'm praying that people find a need, they respond to the call, and they see that the power that is in the name of Jesus is greater than the powers, the issues, the sins that are in the world. And the church needs to be able to show and demonstrate that as Christ and the disciples did. So we could set captives free. There's a lot of people that are in bondage. And sometimes, and I'm not, I'm, I work with the mental health professions, the medical professions. These need to work together in tandem. They're not an either or, they're a both and. But a lot of times, some of those resources aren't able to fully deal with this and uh, these situations. And so we need uh, the power and authority that comes from above, the power from God, the authority from heaven, Jesus's authority to be able to minister freedom. I've seen so many people that were bound in, you know, you name it, addictions. They were hurt by abuse or in the occult and nothing else seemed to help. Nothing else worked. They, they were on meds. They had therapy, even going to church. They needed deliverance and then they get set free and they're totally different. God is able. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, and for those of you that want to register, the best place to go is to united.edu. And you'll find all the links there, united.edu. It's yeah. uh, it's coming yeah. up. It's not too far away. Uh, it's May 5th, the first Friday in May. It's an all-day event uh, at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. So come hang out with us. It'll be so good. Um, Dr. B, I want to give you the final word today. Is there anything more that uh, we should be thinking about, whether it's spiritual warfare and the X seminar or revival at Asbury, give us uh, give us kind of that last thing to be praying about as we end our time together. Right. Uh, I'll just reiterate what I've been saying for the last couple of years. I believe God put on my heart in 2020, right before the COVID-19 crisis, the epidemic uh, occurred. And that is, I felt in my heart and it's still valid today that God is, is, has released in this day, Great grace, great grace for true repentance and great deliverance in our life. And I believe that offer is valid. And I believe that we need to be focusing on our time with the Lord in prayer and allowing the Lord to search our hearts and give us that great grace so that we can experience and walk through true repentance and experience deliverance from whatever sins or issues that are holding us back. That's where revival begins. And so uh, that's my prayer and my declaration for the listening audience is that God loves you. And there's a great grace that's been released. Take advantage of it. Get in your prayer closet and expect the spirit of God to show you things wherever you're at. God, here I am. Show me. Be willing for the Holy Spirit to turn that light on in your in the attic of your soul, the basement of your soul and show you things and put his finger gently on things and ask for you to give that to the Lord and turn from it and expect great deliverance 
and God to move mightily in your life and uh, ex- begin to experience the, the, the beginnings, the, the, the sparks of revival in your own life through repentance. That's so good. I, I love it. I love it. Dr. Bellini, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on here today. I know you're incredibly busy and I asked you super last minute, but I, I really wanted to give people a, a kind of a historical and theological framework to think about this from that um, that I knew that you could provide. So thank you so much for this. And I, I can't wait to see what God does with the X seminar. Man, I'm just so thankful for Dr. Bellini's historical perspective, his theological training and the work that he's doing in deliverance ministry. I think this is really important stuff. So check out the X seminar in the show notes. Also be sure to uh, follow Dr. Bellini on social media The best way to make sure you don't miss the next time he's on the podcast is to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you guys so much for your willingness to be a part of this community. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.